Hi, and welcome to another episode of Pull Yourself Together with eShaver Booksellers. I'm Melissa. I'm Jessica. And we are back with some excellent book recommendations. We are, and we have some exciting news about a couple of our upcoming podcasts. We're going to have guests. Yes, Jessica had a brilliant idea. <laughs> it, it happens occasionally. Every now and again. <laughs> it was, of course, in the shower, so I had to text Melissa immediately when I got out so I wouldn't forget the brilliant idea. But it is quite a brilliant idea. So because of all the COVID-related shenanigans, um, there are not the conferences and book trade shows and actually like book con like for um, just readers you know none of those things are happening so publishers are not really getting the word out about their upcoming books in the same way that they would normally they're trying and they're doing a lot of behind the scenes education for booksellers mm -hmm. but we really felt that you would like to hear some of the things that we hear and so we're inviting some of our reps from the different publishers to join us and talk about what they're reading, what they're looking forward to in the fall list, and then we're going to read a book that they pick out for us and we will all discuss it. Yeah, so that should be super fun and it'll be, well, for, for one, you'll get to hear someone else other than <laughs> Jessica and myself, which is always nice, yes. but um, you'll get to hear sort of the behind the scenes, um, what publishers are excited about um, on their upcoming list. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. And and meet some of our, our sales reps who normally come around this time of year to visit us in the store. But um, we've been both doing phone calls with them and Zooming with them, which yeah. has been fun. Yeah, um, so we've gotten to see them without actually seeing, seeing them. them. But um, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. And so that will, the first one of those will be the first week of August. And we're going to... Uh, have our Macmillan rep on Jeff. Yes, Jeff Willem will be joining us, um, and I think it will be a lot of fun. So, of course, stay tuned to hear us talk about books. Well, sure. That goes without saying. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But also, um, something to look forward to. Yeah. Well, so, without further ado, Jessica, what, what do you want to talk about this week? Well, I will say that I'm closing in on the end of Good Boy. Um, I have been reading it as I go to bed and at different times because it's a, an easy book to pick up and put down. And um, I have 50 pages left, so I'm very excited. And I have to say, I just, I love her writing. It's it's really just easy to read. It's, it's like conversational. It's like you're sitting down and talking to her and it's just and lovely. She, she takes on some very difficult subjects of death and, um, transitioning, um, and being married and transitioning and children and dogs and parents yeah. and, and just makes it seem like you can have this conversation without anger or fear um, with a lot of humor and love, and I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, both Melissa and I recommend Good Boy yeah. by um, Jennifer Finley Boylan. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's, it's excellent. It really is. Um, 
And I'm going to talk about a book that I read this past weekend because I really needed something distracting. <laughs> and this book completely took me out of the world that we're currently living in and took me to a very different place. And so I read Alice Hoffman's book that is upcoming. Mm -hmm. So it will be her newest book. It comes out in October, and it is a prequel to... Um, uh, Practical Magic. Sorry, just blanked <laughs> on that. It's a prequel to Practical Magic, and um, it tells the story of the origins of the Owens women. And it starts very back at the the founding of the Oren Owens clan, and it's just it's just wonderful. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was for me pure escapism. It's, um, if you like Practical Magic, this book absolutely does not disappoint. Now, I will mention, without spoiling, that there are some inconsistencies between th this prequel and the movie and a little bit in the book, but... Well, I think the movie version of Practical Magic and the book were not... They weren't exactly alike. Yeah, they weren't exactly alike. But this is a little different at least than I remember it and it's been years since I've read Practical Magic so I, I could but 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 um, it's very satisfying very and good. it fills everything in it is the origin of the curse mm -hmm. and um, it's really just all about becoming yourself accepting who you are and learning to live in the world that you're given while you still are yourself. So is this the origins of the Owens clan like 1600 Salem yes, or is it, this before they come? It's before and as they come to Salem. Okay. So this is the story of um, Maria Owens who they have if you'll remember from the movie at least they have the rope. She was hung mm -hmm. and um, and she escaped hanging and went on to live a full life. Okay and build a house and live near Salem. And this is her story um, from her birth until almost her death. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I again, I just, I thoroughly recommended it, uh, recommend it. I'm sorry it's not here right now to put into your hands, but um, I don't know about everyone else, but I have really turned to books that um, are distracting right now. Yeah. Uh, that's what I have been doing. Um, so the one that I'm reading right now that I just started um, actually last night, and I'm already about halfway through it, um, is a little darker. It's not um, necessarily um, diverting and, and fun. Um, well, now I will just to interrupt for a second. This one has some very dark turns in it. Yeah. Um, there's – it's – when I say it's diverting and fun, it's still kind of a, a, a dark story about persecution and well, the killing of witches. I'm, I'm going to say this one probably is worse in okay. that regard. Um, so it's Sophie McIntosh and it's Blue Ticket. Mm -hmm. um, she is the author of The Water Cure, who uh, was long listed for the Man Booker Prize um, for that book. But this one is... Um, Handmaid's Tale-esque. Mm. Um, so in this, when young girls have their first period, 
they go to this lottery office. We've talked about this book. Y- yeah. Yes. And so it's almost like, I mean, they have special dresses. It's almost like they're making their first communion. It's kind mm-hmm. of a big kind deal. Of, yeah, it's a big deal. So they go to this lottery office and they pick a ticket from a box. If they get a blue ticket, they um, are allowed to have a career and their freedom and they um, have a device implanted which makes them unable to become pregnant so they will not be mothers. And then if they get a white ticket, they are the ones that are going to have children. Mm-hmm. So, so that's kind of awful enough. But as soon as they go through the procedure and have the device implanted, and this is when girls have their first period, so anywhere from 11 11 to 14, depending, um, they are from that lottery office sent out on a road, and they have to find their way to a city and not given anything. They have to survive out on their own and... They don't ever see their families again. Both the white and the blue ticket? The white are taken somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, the main character in this is um, uh, Kala, and she has a blue ticket. And as she's walking away, she sees the one girl from her group that got the white ticket mm-hmm. is being driven off somewhere, and she has no idea where she's being taken. But... Wow. It, yeah. yeah, and apparently the same thing happens with the boys in the society too. Not, I don't know necessarily. They don't haven't talked about at least like a lottery process for them, but they are, they have to make their way to the cities once they reach a certain age. Mm-hmm. Um, do and they grow up with their families. I'm assuming in a nuclear family, or do they grow up? Well, yeah, so she grew up, um, her mother died when she was young, but her father raised her until the day that he took her to the lottery office, and then Mm -hmm. she says um, later on in the book that she called him once she was safe and made Mm -hmm. it to the city to let him know that she had gotten there, and he was like, okay, great, and they never spoke again. Wow. Yeah, it's a very (laughs) dark book. That's a very dystopian. Yes, it's very dystopian, Um, and so she... It's told in very, very short chapters um, with very, very short paragraphs, sometimes um, just Mm -hmm. a sentence long. Um, And she has to see a doctor a couple days a week that's like a therapist, but also does like measurements and that kind of stuff to make sure she's growing, growing in the way she's supposed It's so so I'm assuming that it's more of a socialist society, though, that medical care is free, that they don't, that, so they have to make their way, but there is a, a sort of uh, um, safety net in there. It, it makes it seem like they haven't fully explained the whole, mm-hmm. um, the whole situation. Um, she has a job working in a lab, like she's a chemist, mm-hmm. so she's gone to school and all these things. So one assumes that there's like once you make it there that like you're housed in a in an mm-hmm. area or whatever but again it it hasn't been explained thus far and I'm about halfway through okay so so but she has a place to live she, yeah, yeah well so she uh, and this is not giving anything away because this is on the back of mm-hmm. the book um <laughs> she 
decides that she wants to have a child. Like, so she has lived and grown up and has mm-hmm. lived like this for a while and has this urge to have a child. So she removes the device herself and becomes pregnant. Oh my. And I imagine there are consequences to that. There action. are, yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, very interesting. I look forward to hearing more about that. Yeah, it's um I I'm I'm moving through it very quickly cuz it there it's yeah. Yeah. Want to know <laughs> want to know what happens next. Yes. Um well, I'm going to talk about a book that I read a while ago, but I also moved through very quickly. Um I read it because I was invited to a dinner with Martha Kelly cuz she used to live in Atlanta and so um one of our Penguin Random House reps invited a group of us up there to meet her to talk about this book. And the book is Lilac Girls. Um, It went on to do quite well. And I really enjoyed this book, but I feel like the cover (laughs) doesn't really tell you the kind of book it actually is. So it is a serious work of historical fiction. Um, The main character is based on Carolyn um, I'm going to mispronounce her name, Ferde, um, who was a New York City philanthropist, and she worked at the French consulate during World War II, and she helped rescue 35 Polish women from Nazi concentration camps. Um, the main concentration camp was Ravensbrück, and this is a fictionalized account of her story. Um, parts of the story are quite grim, and I think that her editor must have said, wow, this is a dark, dark story. You need to put a little romance and a little fun in it. And so the first chapter or so is you're kind of getting to know the main character. um, And there's a little romance in it. In real life, um, there wasn't a lot of romance in her life. She was um, more of a serious philanthropist and worked at the consulate. Yeah. Um, was focused on this. But I did learn a lot about Ravensbrook, which I really knew nothing about. I didn't know anything about it either prior to reading this book. Like, I had heard the name before, but I Mm -hmm. didn't realize how it was different from other concentration camps. So this was an all-female concentration camp. And it wasn't Jewish women. No. These were Catholic girls. Um, the, The main characters in the story that we follow through this are Catholic girls who are Polish and they're in the Girl Guides and um, when Poland is invaded uh, after occupation, they're caught and transported to Ravensbrück and they're experimented on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they are taken into the hospital and operations, unnecessary operations are done on them and like their legs would be opened up or broken and then they would take one leg and they would treat it with sulfur drugs or whatever closest to antibiotics. And then the other leg, they would just put in dirt and things that would have gotten in on the battlefield and just see what happened with them. So what I found most fascinating about that book was that it's told from multiple Mm -hmm. narratives and she's able to write one of the doctors it's a female doctor. A female doctor at Ravensbrook. She writes her so convincingly, and to be able to get into that headspace mm-hmm. and kind of write from that point of view 
is amazing to me. Um, it really is because it's chilling. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's the doctor you does just terrible things without, without feeling at any remorse or no no none. remorse. Who she one hundred percent feels that she was right to do these things. It was for the good of the homeland. Um, she utterly and completely betrays these girls. Um, and their lives are very hopeless, but in the camp, they still manage to have some friendships and to live to some degree. Um, they're, they, they finally, the camp is finally um, discovered at the end of the war, and they're taken to Sweden. Mm-hmm. And then they go back to Poland, and the tragedy of it is they end up in Soviet-occupied Eastern Bloc countries, and they're not given any medical attention for these horrific injuries. I mean, some of them can't walk. Um, They're maimed for life. And so what Caroline Faraday does is she brings them to the United States on sort of a tour to bring attention to this, and she gets them all reconstructive surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it's really worth reading. Um, I would not pass this book by because it has a cover with women walking away. It has the same cover that they have put on every World War II book for like the past seven years. I like. It's I. <laughs> um, yes, this is this is a story to some degree about female friendship, which is what you get when you look at the cover of the book. But it's really a story about survival about the heroism and doggedness of one woman to help these women. Um, and it's it's just, it's really well done. Yeah, the front of the book looks like it's three women going to gossip and have a, <laughs> have a drink somewhere. It, that's very yeah. much not what's happening in this book. Not, not at all what's happening in this book. Um, so if you want to do a little bit heavier historical fiction, but again, a, a very quick paced read mm-hmm. because you want to know what happens next. Um, I would highly recommend Lilac Girls. I haven't talked about it so far um, because I don't read a lot of historical fiction, but this book just stands out as a, um, something well worth reading if you want to educate yourself about some of the other horrors in the world that have happened yeah and it's not prior to reading that story it's not one that I really knew a lot about and I and that just could be my personal ignorance this people could know about this and I I just didn't know I I didn't know much about it and so when I had dinner with um, Martha Kelly and she talked about her experience and then when we heard her speak um, subsequent times after that she talked about how she had gone um, she had had a a weekend off from her children, and she had gone up to Connecticut to see um, the home um, in Bethlehem, Connecticut, which is now operated by the Connecticut Landmarks, um, which was Carolyn Fairley's home, and there was a picture when she was looking through the house of all these girls, and she asked about it, Mm -hmm. and the docent told her about the girls that had come over and had the reconstructive surgery, and she became fascinated and started, I think, took several years to reach research this story. Um, the reason it's called the Lilac Girls is because um, the house there is a, 
um, landmark because it has all these lilacs planted around it. And in the spring every year, apparently it's an amazing sight mm -hmm. to see them all in bloom. Um, so. Very good. Yes. Um, okay, so I'm going to talk about something definitely much, <laughs> much lighter. Um, so uh, one of our booksellers, Caitlin, has started a humor book club mm -hmm. at the store. And um, this past month was the first month that I was able really to read the book and participate in the book club uh, just because I've been busy with other reading engagements before. Um, so the book this month was Cooking with Fernet Bronca by James Hamilton Patterson. This book is hilarious. Um, so <laughs> it's put out by Europa. Um, I really want to read this. It's, um, it needs to be my next diverting book. It's it, You'll enjoy it. So the main character, well, actually, there's two main characters. Um, but one, Jerry, is a ghostwriter of um, celebrity biographies. Like, he's done several <laughs> sport figure biographies. Mm -hmm. um, and he's also working on his own personal cookbook. Oh, my. Um, but he lives in a house in Tuscany. He's, um, he's British. Um, and so he bought this house, and his estate agent told him that the house that's not really close, but, but nearby, um, was owned by someone who's only there a month out of the year, and they're super quiet, and you'll never even know they're there. Well, that's not the case. <laughs> um, so the other house is owned by Marta, who is from somewhere in Russia. Um, I'm not sure if the place that they even say she's from is a... It's like Voinovia. I'm not even sure it's a real <laughs> place. Um, but she is, um, she studied at a music conservatory and she is writing the score for basically high budget porn. Oh, wow. Um, and, um, <laughs> yeah. And so she was also assured by her estate agent that the house that's nearby is only occupied by someone who lives there a month out of the year, and they're super quiet. So it's a comedy of errors, um, for sure. Um, I can just picture her. Yeah, well, she's, got, she's described as having this big frizzy hair. And like, so like the description you always get is from Jerry's perspective, and... It's hard to tell throughout most of the book if Jerry is just British or mm -hmm. gay. It, it's unclear. <laughs> <laughs> um, is he British? Is he gay? <laughs> yeah. Um, but Marta, ha in Jerry's description of her, um, does not speak English very well. And they somehow have bonded over Frené Bronca which they both claim not to like at all, but drink an awful lot of when they're with each other for, for people who don't like each other and don't like this particular beverage. <laughs> um, so shenanigans ensue um, throughout his part. So it's told in alternating narratives. Um, but in his parts, there's various recipes that he's concocting, mm -hmm. which are all just disgusting. <laughs> Um, there's mussels with chocolate sauce. Oh, no. And, yeah. No. And, and he considers himself quite the gourmet. Oh, dear. Um, and so it's, 
it's hilarious. Um, a little bit filthy in parts, but mm-hmm. but nothing like over the edge. But just if you need something that's just completely ridiculous with completely ridiculous characters and completely ridiculous situations, I, this is I, it. I need that in my life. Yeah, so absolutely. So cooking with Frene Bronca, James Hamilton Patterson. It's a good time. <laughs> Very good. Yes. Well, I, I may need to bring that home this weekend because I also um, need to finish Go Tell It on a Mountain, which we have gotten through part one with one of the book groups I lead. And then um, for our other book group, I need to read The Color Purple. Mm-hmm. And so um, those are pretty heavy. Yes. And so, yes, I think this will be my good diversion book. Oh, yeah. It, this one, yeah. it'll be good for that. <laughs> Well, I'm going to talk about another one um, that I read a while ago and I really loved, but it's not an easy story. Um, It's Julian Barnes, and I don't know if uh, any of you out there have read Julian Barnes, but I absolutely love his writing. Um, And this book is called The Only Story. It came out, um, oh gosh, a few years ago. And we we are broadcasting from my dining room and so I don't have the copy of the book in front of me but it was um, at least two possibly three years ago I think it was yes two or three two or three years ago um and it um it is the story of Paul who falls in love at 19 and he has an unusual relationship with um, his tennis partner who is significantly older than him and married. And it really goes from there. But the premise is that your first love and the person you really love is really the only story there is to tell. And it's, it goes through from their meeting, their falling in love, from you realizing there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than you think there is, um, to his going away back to school um, and their continued relationship, which um, goes on for years and years and years and years. And it's, it's, it's very moving and it's very sad. And the way he describes love is... Um, and the falling in love part is, I think, right on spot, you know, that irrational part of love where you, um, it's kind of like a drug and you make bad decisions and, and questionable choices. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and then it, it ends, um, uh, I found it ended, to me, in a, a, a difficult way, and I don't want to give too much away, um, if you've read the book or if you're going to read the book and you want to come in and chat about it one day in the shop <laughs> or <laughs> send me an email, I, I have feelings about how Paul treated the whole thing in the end. Um, and I'm not sure I like him as much as a character as I did initially. Um, but it is it is beautifully written. It's a short book. Um, I went through it very quickly because I wanted to know what happened next. It's... Um, I hesitate to use the word, but it's very atmospheric. So you you really feel like you're there. You feel like you're in the car and on the tennis court and um, participating in their lives as an observer. Um, and his his writing I, is very British, but which I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's also some people have difficulty 
understanding him, I find him fairly clear. Um, but I do have things to discuss about the end of the book. <laughs> well, um, and it also came out in 2018. So two 2018. years ago. <laughs> so two, yes, yeah. two years ago. That was about right. Yeah. Seems like a lifetime. Yeah. Wow. Well, I was going to say, I remember when you read it and mm-hmm. we're talking about it and just, see, yeah, it does seem like forever ago. It does. There's so, many, so books. many books in between. <laughs> so many books. My goodness. Um, okay. So I. Oh, sorry. Yeah. The Only Story by Julian Barnes. Yes. Um, okay. So people might not know that um, in a weird break in my book selling career, I did go to culinary school for a while and worked in restaurants. Um, and as a result, I, I've al- always loved like cookbooks and, and reading cookbooks, kind of like mm-hmm. novels. But I've gotten really into food writing and food narratives. Um, and not necessarily just like biographies mm-hmm. of chefs, which I really, really enjoy, but also you know books about the food industry and the food system. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the re- ones I read, it's been out for a little while, um, is The Omnivore's Dilemma, A Natural History in Four Meals by Michael Pollan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a f- really fascinating book. Um, so what he wants to do is look at um, food from the very beginning to the very end. So he looks at the industrial food complex. And so he goes to these huge factory farms Mm -hmm. and he follows um, basically a meal from beginning to end with the Mm -hmm. end being a fast food restaurant. But he goes to the feedlots for these large cattle farms and goes to these large corn growing um, gigantic farms um and so he he tells everything about that experience through the industrial food process and then he does the same thing with organically farmed food and he goes to this tiny farm in virginia which mm-hmm. i want to visit because it sounds like paradise <laughs> um but you know talking about the way that they raise their animals and how mm-hmm. they move them from pasture to pasture and it's like once they have moved the cows from there they put chickens in and the chickens right and it's it just the way everything works Mm -hmm. in concert with each other and the way that they slaughter the animals in a a, as respectful a manner as they possibly can well that was so i frequent the farmer's market here in savannah and there is um hunter farms Mm -hmm. which um has really cute goat pictures a lot of the time and um but they had pictures out one day of um, them sort of holding sheep or different animals, which, you know, ended up being slaughtered. And I, um, I kind of questioned for a minute how they could do that. And I, I said to the girl, I don't know how you can do that. I just I couldn't do it. And she said, well, they have really, really nice lives. They just have one bad second. Yeah, they um, so so just the idea that these farmers are treating everything with respect, um, mm-hmm. and just the way they treat the land with respect, they treat the animals with respect, and it's just, um, it, that part was really really amazing to me. And then the last part, he forages, and oh so he goes out and he forages for mushrooms, and he hunts a wild boar, and so he fo- he goes through the whole process and follows that to the end, mm-hmm. and then eats this meal that he has 
provided all for himself. And it's, it's a really fascinating book. And it's a really, it's interesting to look at all of these systems side by side and Mm -hmm. just wonder why we're doing some of the things that we're doing in this country and why we're farming in the way that we're farming. Um, Well, I think one side of, of the situation we're in now is that we're, we are kind of using more local products because that's what we can get. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's good. And I, you know, through this whole journey, I know I've talked about it before, but I've started baking my own bread. And one day I, I had a tomato sandwich with bread that I had baked and herbs that I had grown and tomatoes that I had grown. And it was very satisfying. Mm -hmm. And now I also, although I realized it before, know how hard it is to grow tomatoes. <laughs> it does take a, uh, you need to know it. I guess take a knack, you know, practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not, I, I can grow a lot of things and my gardens normally do pretty well, but tomatoes have eluded me. Well, my tomato succeeded this year in spite of me. Like <laughs> it was by, <laughs> it was by nothing I did. It was pure luck that my tomatoes did as well as they did, but Perhaps yeah. they like neglect. Perhaps. <laughs> I just didn't think. I, Maybe I, I loved mine to death. I did water mine very religiously. I was very good about that. So, I mean, I didn't completely neglect them, oh, but I it, was, it was, I did not give them leaf miners. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that. Anyway. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> um, well, that sounds fascinating. It and, really um, is. Uh, there was a movie I watched recently, and I'm blanking on the name of it. It's a new one about the election. Um, the difficulties of our current um, election system. But one of the quotes in it that I thought was funny, it was when um, a rural person had gone to New York for this fundraiser and someone was talking about farm to table and he said, well, ultimately everything's farm to table. Yeah. Where do you think it comes from? It just <laughs> depends on what kind of farm. Yes. Yeah. But, um, so it was interesting. Well, okay, so Michael Pollan's um, The Omnivore's Dilemma. Very good. Well, I'm going to talk about a book that a lot of people, I think, um, found a little perplexing. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) It's been a while since I read it. The Ocean at the End of the Lane. I found it incredibly perplexing. (laughs) By Neil Gaiman. Um, I think you really have to look at it as a fable and a fairy tale more than a straight-up narrative. I Uh, Well, I've read all of his other stuff, and this one is the one that just did, of all of them, just did not... Mm-hmm. did not work for me. <laughs> um, I I read it um, right when it first came out, and I think I had maybe, I did not own the store at that point. It came out in, when did this come out? Oh, God, I fail again. The Ocean at the End of the Lane. It's probably been five or six years ago, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, 2014. 2013, so yes, it was definitely before I owned the store. And um, it is a story about a man who comes home for a funeral, and when he comes home, he's drawn back to this farm at the end of the lane, and it's the um, Hemstocks, and they're two older ladies, and they had a a daughter that he, or a granddaughter that he used to... um, play with, a daughter and a granddaughter. It's a mother and a grandmother. And he um, recalls it, and in his mind, she's gone off to Australia. But as he starts thinking about it, all these 
memories come back and he gets caught up and he tells the story of um, when he was young and a small boy and a traveling um, opal miner comes to their house and ends up committing suicide and there's a curse and then this evil being is brought into their world. So he goes down to see Letty and she helps him with all of this, but he lets go of her hand for just a second and in that second, evil creeps into him and into our, our world that we live in and you come to understand that the, the pond and the farm are really a magical world that they're on the border of. And so he's entered into this magical world and come back and when he comes back, he brings evil with him. And this evil manifests and lives in his house as, uh, as a caretaker for he and his sister and turns his whole family against him really. And, um, and it's kind of terrifying. And in the end, he goes back and Letty um, kind of sacrifices herself for him. And he, and then they don't see each other anymore. And um, he grows up and goes away and he forgets about it every time he goes away. But in the end, it's kind of told to him that he's been coming back here for years, that, that you know, when he leaves their world, he forgets, but he's always drawn back into it. It's a tale of, of um, magic and good and evil and, and being careful about what you wish for and following instructions when you're told to do something in a magical world. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion that there's a cat in the other room trying to eat through a hole in, um, in a bag of cat food. You know. So <laughs> I'm just going to say The Ocean at the End of the Lane is a wonderful book by Neil Gaiman. It's a it's more of a novel. Um, there is a beautiful collector's edition of it with illustrations that is amazingly beautiful. Um, and if you would like to read it and discuss it with us, <laughs> we'd be happy to talk about it further. Um, I it's a book that I will reread um, at some point when I have a minute. Mm -hmm. um, but it is kind of like reading Murakami. It's a, it's a hard, it, you, you are in this world and it's, it's a little hard to explain. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I've just found it, I don't like he's always got the magic in his books and he's always, you know, it, it, that one just, I just found that one just a little opaque. Yes, yeah. more so than usual. Yeah, I, um, for whatever reason, it, it, I was just in the right frame of mind when I read it, and I, I was totally immersed. And I think Barbara and I worked at the store, and there were two books that I read. Um, one was called Adam's Brain, and the other was this one. We were really slow back then. There was not always a lot going on in the store, and Esther didn't really encourage us to have any projects or do things. I mean, we were supposed to tidy, but other than that, we were just supposed to be there. Right. And um, I would often read a book in a day, um, just because I yeah. didn't have anything else to do. And this was this one took me two days, but I, I stood there and, and read it. And Barbara was amazed because we know Barbara, and this is not her cup of tea at all. And no. she'd say, she read that whole stupid book in a day. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, um, Barbara. <laughs> yeah, 
but I, I would recommend it, but it, I, it is not everybody's cup of tea, and it is a little different for Neil Gaiman, so mm -hmm. it's, not, um, it's not like all his other books. Yeah. Um, so if you want to get to know a different side of Neil Gaiman, <laughs> um, The Ocean at the End of the Lane is a great place to start. Mm. So I'm kind of amazed that in all the time that we've been doing this, that I have not mentioned um, the next series of books that I'm going to talk about. Um, so the series is called The Chronicles of St. Mary's, and they're by Jodie Taylor, who is a British author. Um, and the first one in the series is called Just One Damned Thing After Another. <laughs> and Well, that's been this year. <laughs> right? It's a perfect <laughs> book for 2020. Um, so they are um, science fiction. Uh, they involve um, like an alternate history. Um, something has happened in the world. Things are not exactly the same um, as they are in our reality. There's been mm -hmm. like a battle. Um, these these happen in um, Great Britain. Um, there's so they don't really touch on that very much. They you, they mm -hmm. allude to it, and you know that it's happened, and things are not completely normal for us. Um, but. The main character is named Maxwell, and mm -hmm. Maxwell is a, um, she's a historian, uh, and she works for St. Mary's, mm -hmm. and as a historian, she documents historical uh, events in real time, which means she time travels, oh. although they don't call it that. What do they call it? They, they just don't say time travel. They say documenting in contemporary time. <laughs> Documenting in contemporary time. Yes. So anytime there is a question about something in history, um, people will come to St. Mary's and ask them to look into it. So if people don't know exactly what happened with, say, the Trojan War, they will send a team of people um, to go to the time and they will live in the time and document and record what's happening historically so they can answer all these questions. Um, so there is a group called the Time Police who are um, in charge of making sure that people are not using time travel for bad things okay. um so they kind of keep track of everything that happens and if things are being changed in the timelines they find the people and take care of it um and then there's also a rogue historian who is is causing troubles and he pops in and out of the series um and they never know when they're going to encounter him or how old he's going to be when they encounter him and, um, you know, the timey-wimey troubles. Yes. Um, they're incredibly fun. Um, they're, they will keep you on the edge of your seat. You really will be able to fly through the series because mm -hmm. you want to know what happens. Um, and if you like history, they're amazing. They're full of so much history and so much kind of obscure British history that so I didn't know a lot about Bill and Ted's excellent adventure 
no. No. Okay. <laughs> um, they're not. Uh, no Socrates. No Socrates. Um, they they are very um, accurate to the mm-hmm. history, even though well, what happens were is accurate. were they? Uh, were they? <laughs> <laughs> All we are is dust, dust in the wind, wind. dude. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Sorry. Um, yeah. So. Um, but they do have, like, their pods are almost sort of reminiscent of mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Bill and Ted's. Uh, so they're just a slightly more intellectual British. Huh, not slightly more. Okay. <laughs> Decidedly more, more intellectual, intellectual British version <laughs> of Bill and Ted. <laughs> but Max is a woman. <laughs> Which is fine. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so what you didn't see off screen there was my... Um, cat eating a huge hole in the bag of cat food that I had purchased today for the bookshop cats. Um, because he's starving and Jessica never feeds him. Yes, and <laughs> if you've ever looked at my timeline on <laughs> Facebook or, yeah, you can <laughs> tell that he is in fact not starving. He's, he's got a rough life. <laughs> poor, poor kitty. Poor Pascal. Yes. So, Melissa and I were going to talk about a book that we both read <laughs> and we both loved. And um, we had dinner with the author. <laughs> yes, we did. We did. <laughs> and he was great. Um, um, and he lives in Brooklyn, of course. Of course. He and I discussed large appliance, um, large appliances. No, you, that was that with was Charles, Charles Frazier. Frazier. That's true. Well, he was at that end of the table, too. Though. Yes, he was. Yes. <laughs> So this is just a really funny story, um, and I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna lay this out here. Okay, so we're invited to this dinner, and it's being put out uh, put on by Harper Collins, mm-hmm. and um, they told us ahead of time who all the authors were going to be that were going to be at this dinner, and Charles Fraser was going to be there, which is very exciting. It's yes. Charles Fraser, but. What was more exciting for me was this author that we're talking about now, Charles Soule, because he is best known as a comic book writer. He wrote yes. The Death of Wolverine. He has his, his several of his own series, like Curse Words is amazing. But I really, really wanted to sit next to him because I wanted to talk to him about comics. And I know he was there to talk about his novel, and he was very, very lovely. And his novels are fantastic. They are. But I just wanted to talk about comics, and he was very patient with me and (laughs) answered all of my questions, because I'm like, yeah, yeah, your novel. Can we talk about comics? Um, But when we were at the dinner, um, so I was sitting at the very end of the table, and Mm. he was sitting on, Charles Soule was sitting on my left. There was a guy in between him and Charles Frazier, and then on my other side, at like the head of the table, there was one of the... One of the reps. One of the reps for, for Harper Collins, who wasn't um, our rep, but um, actually, I'm not sure she was a rep. I think she was higher up. She may have been in sales in some in some way, shape, or form. Yes. But she asked me if I would mind switching seats with the guy who was in between the two Charleses because mm-hmm. he's more of a financial guy, and she wasn't sure that he would have anything to talk to the authors about, and they w- she really wanted to talk business with him. Yes. And I was like, uh, I don't want to sit next to Charles Frazier because it's Charles Frazier and I'm really scared because I'm going to say something stupid because it's Charles Frazier. And so she could sense <laughs> that I was like frozen. Um, so, so 
I ended up sitting next to Charles Frazier. Um, so, so Jessica was talking to him the whole time, and well, because nobody was talking because to him. Because it's Charles Frazier. I know, but the poor man was just sitting. I mean, he has a refrigerator too. Right. We had we talked about all kinds of things, not just large appliances. Well, so we get to the end of the meal, and Charles Frazier <laughs> comes this down to story. the other end of the table and is like. It sits down next to me. I was like, we haven't gotten to talk all night. I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm like, hi. <laughs> I was like, they wanted to put me next to you, but, you know, uh, I was a little intimidated because you're Charles Frazier. But then you know that because, you know, you're him. <laughs> and he just <laughs> smiled and laughed at me, and he was like, okay, then. So later on at this conference, he um, was participating in a, a panel thing and afterwards they had a mm -hmm. book signing. Um, so I was getting him to sign a copy of his book for me. And so he signed it, um, Charles Frazier every day, which is super funny and very yes. cute. So fast forward about a year or two later, mm -hmm. Charles Frazier is in town in Savannah for oh. a book signing at the Flannery O'Connor house. Yes. And so he remembered the bookstore from us having dinner with him. And so he came into the bookstore and was lovely and was with his daughter. And Who is also lovely. Yes. And yes. so we were, we were laughing about this story and she was just amazed. She's like, dad, you never make jokes that quickly. Good <laughs> on you. <laughs> oh no, that was such a fun event too. It was. Because, um, yes. Well, that was, that was an event where we were there as sort of the, as the book, not sort of the booksellers, as the booksellers for that, <laughs> and which was a smaller event. And I think that um, the people who had invited us to do it didn't realize that we had a prior relationship with him. And he immediately, after his talk, came up and said, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. I remember <laughs> you from um, where was Winter, Institute. Winter Institute. Winter yeah. Institute. And um, your bookstore must be around the corner and I'm coming there tomorrow. So it was one of those rare gratifying moments in life where you're like, yeah, okay. This yeah. is, this is cool. But okay. So, so, so Charles Soul's book, <laughs> Charles we digress. Soul. Yes. yes. So back to what we were actually talking about. Yes. So this is a novel called the Oracle year by Charles soul. Um, it was his first novel. He has since published another novel yes. called anyone, which is also fabulous. Um, but this one is, it's just really good. Um, and it's really good from the standpoint that the plot is super engaging, but the mm -hmm. secondary characters in this book are written so well that I just, I really wanted more of them. And I, that's not something I normally say. But I really liked the main character, oh, too. Oh, yeah, I did, too. I, um, I, but that's not unusual for me to, like, fall in love with the main character. Usually the secondary characters, I'm like, okay, you're, you're there. No, this was, um, so the premise of the book is? There's a young man, he's in his 20s. He's kind of unremarkable in all ways. He's, he's a failed musician. He's not right. really doing anything with his life. Um, um, he dreams one night, 180 eight predictions I believe yes. um he has a prophecy yeah he and so he writes all these things down some of them are big some of them are small some of them make absolutely no sense to him mm -hmm. um and then some of them start to come true and so he releases them anonymously not, well not all of them well uh, many of them yeah he releases them anonymously 
on a website Mm -hmm. and people start to pay attention to this because these things are coming true. Now, as you can imagine, the government is interested. Yes. Um, And then there's also... He's completely freaked out. Yes. um, There's large corporations that are trying to buy information from him. He has a friend who's trying to make as much money off of this as he possibly can. Um, And we can't say a whole lot more about it without giving away too much. But it's... um, it's it's really well done. It's it's different. And it's um basically the story is what does he do with this information mm-hmm. that he has? So what if you know what's going to happen in the future even if you don't know exactly what it means and how do you handle that? Mm-hmm. And who who gets the information? Yes. Um so the oracle year by the always fabulous and wonderful <laughs> Charles Soule, yes, um, who lives with all the other writers in Brooklyn. <laughs> well, not with them literally, but you know that would be amazing if they're like they have a farm a for writers. Yes. <laughs> they probably do. <laughs> yes. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's. I think that's all we have. Yeah. I don't. I don't have anything new or amazing. No. Um, so. The the next time you hear from us will be the beginning of August, and we will have our special guest, Jeff, our Macmillan rep, yeah. and we'll be talking about things that we've read, including the book that he has picked for us, which I'm not going to tell you what it is. You'll just no, have to wait and find out. You'll have to wait and see. <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading it, though. Yeah, I am excited. It's been one that I've been wanting to read, so yes, be good. And, and sadly, we only have one copy of it, so we have to share. That's right. But we'll get it done. We'll get it done. Absolutely. We're good at cramming. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope everybody's well. Um, we thought we'd be in a different place by now, but it does not seem like that's where things are going. Um, but wherever you are, take care of yourself and take care of other people. And please, when you go out in public, wear a mask. And stay six feet away from people you don't know. Keep a few llamas in between you. Yes, or bookshop cats. About six bookshop cats work. Mm-hmm. Um, I ventured into World Market briefly today, and they said at least two shopping carts between you and other people. So, yes, and hopefully we will um, we'll get through this, and and um, and we'll have learned a lot. Don't worry, we're keeping ourselves busy at the bookshop. We have uh, some changes coming up. We do, we do. We're going to close for a couple of days and rearrange a little bit, which we're very excited about. Yeah, I think it will make everything a little more user-friendly and just, it'll. you know what, it's time for a change. Yes, every now and again you need to to shift things around and shake out the dust and lord knows every six months i change the way my furniture is in my living room it happened like i'm like oh time to switch this room so um, it, it's what we're doing <laughs> I, I i do the same thing although i live in a historical home and um the rooms look big because they're very tall but the actual footprints of the room 
are not as big as you think they are, especially when you get more than five pieces of furniture in them. So you need to do what I know you and I both, we've talked about this before. Yes. What we both did when we were kids is get graph paper and oh, graph I out totally our room yes. and then figure out where we were going to place everything. Cause Jessica and I are total nerds I know. and we have been since birth. It's true. <laughs> if I start a memoir, it's going to be, she was an odd child. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Take care of yourselves and happy reading. Yes. Be well and read the books. Absolutely. Bye. Bye.